Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. You know, over the last several weeks leading up to Christmas morning, we have been preparing our hearts for the arrival of Jesus, waiting in what we call Advent, which is an ancient Latin word that means coming. But it's a word that just drips with angst and concern and questions, that kind of coming. Not not coming like I'm almost there, it's coming like I'm on my way. And some of y'all know that when your family member says they're on their way, what they mean is they are on their way out of the bed and they are headed to the bathroom to start getting ready to make the trip to your house. And it just, that's Advent, it just drips with angst. Like I need to know when you're gonna be here because we got biscuits in the oven, you hear what I'm saying? I need to know like what's the time frame? And that was Advent for a long time as Jesus has promised to come and ancient prophet after ancient prophet had declared that he was coming and what he was gonna be like and what we could hope for. Daniel even went as far as foretelling the time frame in history at which Jesus was going to arrive. Now, I wonder there were so many people out there the morning Jesus arrived riding on a donkey with his disciples in the mouth of Jerusalem, and millions were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. They had waited forever, and that day had finally come. But can you imagine what it must have been like to have had to wait for Savior Jesus, instead of being able to wake up this morning knowing Savior Jesus had come. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have lived in the 400 years between Malachi and the book of Matthew where God did not speak at all? 400 years, generation after generation of the silence of God. Like, you had never heard God speak. You had never heard of a move of God. Nobody that you had ever known had ever heard of a move of God or God speaking. For your great, great, great grandparents at that particular point in history didn't even have any personal stories of seeing God moving and hearing God's voice. For 400 years, God was silent. And then when God decided to break his silence, when all of heaven hushed, as the king of glory stood up from his throne and declared over all of heaven that he was about to put on skin and move into our story, heaven must have stalled for a moment. For the first time in history, the angels had been singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come for history past. And God had never gotten up out of his seat before. God had created everything that we know to be creation. The universe and the cosmos and earth, he did it by the sound of his voice. He didn't have to get up from his throne to pull that off. That was nothing for him. And then fast forward in history when Satan, Lucifer, and and the fallen angels decided they wanted God's job and tried to overthrow God. God didn't even have to get up from his throne. He just spoke and they were cast out forever. God's never had to stand, he sits on the throne of heaven, ruling and reigning for all time. But on this particular day, when God stood up, all of heaven must have staggered. God, what are you doing? Why are you standing? Like, what could be so significant that that, that you're actually getting up from the throne? Well, I'm, I'm gonna become human. 
what are you talking about, God? That's madness. Have you seen these people? If you would have asked our advice from the beginning, we would have told you, let's just, I mean, what's wrong with us, the angels and you and just hanging out in heaven? You don't need them. Now I'm gonna have to step into their story because I'm gonna have to die for them. But God, you can't die. You're God. Yeah, but I'm gonna make myself breakable so that I can pour out my blood for them. Yeah, but God, you don't bleed. You're God. I'm gonna let them kill me so that I can rescue them. But don't worry, (laughs) don't worry. Death itself can't even defeat me because I will rise again. It's a love story of God, yeah. And he did all that because, well, John 3.16 says it so beautifully, God so loved the world. He just, he's just, he was so in love with the world he couldn't help himself. Have you ever felt like God was some distant cosmic being that wasn't, didn't care about the concerns of your heart this morning? Like he was so in love with the world. There, there was no limit to what he would do to make a way for us to be made right with him, for us to find peace in him, for us to find joy in him and hope in him and life in him. There was nothing that he wouldn't do. And as we have prepared our hearts in Advent, we have been going through the book of Isaiah and Isaiah chapter nine, and I actually wanna fast forward to the most famous Christmas passage of all time that was written about 700 years before Christmas. And this is what it said, for unto us a child is born. This is how God's gonna step into the story to right the wrongs, to make peace with himself, to clear the cluttered path back to God. Unto us a child will be born. And unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called. His resume is as follows. He is the wonderful counselor who can inspire hope in you in the most hopeless times because he's not a good counselor or a great counselor. He is a counselor of wonder. He is a miracle-working counselor that can bring comfort in the hardest times and instill hope in your heart even though you stare down the barrel at hopelessness this morning because he's a wonderful counselor and he is a mighty God and because of his might, you can find joy this morning though your circumstances might not be happy. Joy can be instilled within you by the mighty God himself as our hearts bow to the reality that he is mighty and he sits upon the throne and he is above all things and all things have been put under his feet and he cannot be stopped and he cannot be topped. And regardless of how hard this thing you are facing in your life, you can take great joy in knowing that he still sits on the throne. What has you freaked out hasn't even caused him to flinch because he's in control, he saw it coming, and never once, no, never, not ever, has he been sitting in heaven scratching his head thinking, dadgummit, I didn't see that one coming. If only you would have, and if only you would have tried, no, because he's the mighty God. He's not surprised by anything. Nothing in heaven on earth moves without his sovereignty saying yes because he's mighty and he's in control and you can find great joy in knowing that regardless of what you face today. And he's also our everlasting father who 
is not even close to the reflection of your earthly father, regardless of how good or bad your daddy was. Jesus, our everlasting father, is not the reflection of your earthly daddy. He is the perfection of your earthly daddy. Everything that your daddy was supposed to be, Jesus is. He is so saturated with love. He is even described in scriptures as God is love. It's just who he is. It's not an element of his character. It saturates every corner of his body. It's just who he is. And this everlasting father is so in love with you that he longs for you to find a safe place in him, that he longs for you to know that his arms are wrapped around you in love and comfort this morning. Oh, and by the way, if you are going through the hard stuff of life, I hear Cam and Sarah Beth say it all the time. The chest of God is big enough to beat against and soft enough to fall against all at the same time because he's an everlasting father. And last but not least, he shall be called the Prince of Peace. The one who not only reconciled all of our past mess, he sustains us right here in the present with his peace. He has enough peace to pour out on you right now this morning for you to continue to put one foot in front of the other. Not only that, this Prince of Peace has also secured your future if you have trusted in him as the Prince of Peace. He doesn't just offer peace as the world gives. He actually offers a peace that surpasses all understanding. In other words, that makes no sense. A peace that's not based on circumstances, a peace that you can have regardless of circumstances that are happening around you. He is the Prince of Peace who was born, who lived, who died on the cross and was resurrected. And upon his resurrection, that Prince of Peace graduated to become the King of Peace. And he's in control of all of that. He has more than enough for what you need this morning. This is Jesus. And as we light this Christ candle this morning, we are reminded that the light has come into the world. I love the imagery of the candle because as we often do in Christmas Eve services around the world, we light one candle and everyone takes it, their candle, and lights the person to the next to them and the light continues to travel. That's a perfect picture of kingdom gospel mission at Christmas time. The light has come into the world, not so that it would just be set on the stage as we fix our attention on it, but so that we would also, that our hearts would be ignited and we would share that light and that hope with others. Because who wouldn't want to tell some good news like this, the best news ever? Who wouldn't want peace and love and joy and hope that can only be given from the very hand of the creator himself? And it's been given to you. Give it to the world around you. You know, when John declared in John chapter 1 that Jesus was coming, he said it like this. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then by the time we get to verse 14, John goes on to say, and the Word put on flesh and dwelt among us. Let me translate for that for you. God became human to live with us. Let me say that for you again. God became human to live with us. And for those of you that have trusted him as Lord and King, trusted in his word and his work, he never left. No sooner than Jesus ascended back into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, Jesus in spirit form, to come dwell within us. 
You're not alone this morning. He's not far away. You don't have to worry about if your prayers are stopping at the ceiling or if some distant cosmic God in heaven is hearing them. If you trust in Jesus as Lord and King, not only is he hearing your prayers, he is in you feeling your prayers. He senses the joy that you felt when you woke up on Christmas morning. He senses the crushing grief that is plaguing some of you when you woke up on Christmas morning. He knows. He knows. And Romans chapter 8 says he, Jesus, is actually interceding on your behalf to the Father himself, praying in his ear for you, whispering your name this morning. He's with you. He longs for you. If you don't know him yet, I hope that you'll trust in him and his complete and finished work. He's the most polarizing human to ever walk the face of the earth. There's something about this Jesus. Either he was God or he was a fraud. Either he's the greatest hope in the world or the greatest hoax in the world. There's no in between. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? You know, Ansley were doing a, and I were doing a little morning Christmas devotion, this Advent book called In the Manger. It's just some inspirational writings from Max Licato. And let me just share just a little clip out of what we read this morning. I would encourage you with this, and then Pastor Dave is going to lead us in a couple of songs. Let me just have a seat, shall I? Listen, Grace. A person can be all that goodness calls him to be and never see the author of life, Jesus. Being honest and moral or even religious doesn't necessarily mean that we will see him. Nope. We may see what others see in him or we may hear what some has said that he has said, but until we see him for ourselves, until our own sight is given, we may think that we've seen him. Having in reality seen only a hazy form of the gray semi-darkness, have you seen him? Have you caught a glimpse of his majesty? A word is placed in the receptive crevice of your heart that causes you ever so briefly to see his face, or maybe you heard a verse read in a tone that you had never heard before, or explained in a way that you had never thought, and one more piece of the puzzle falls into place. Someone touches your painful spirit as only one sent from God could do, and there he is, Jesus, the man, the bronze Galilean who spoke with such thunderous authority and loved with such childlike humility, the God, the one who claimed to be older than time and even greater than death. Gone is the pomp of religion, dissipated is the fog of theology, momentarily lifted is the opaque curtain of controversy and opinion, erased are our own blinding errors and egotism, and there he stands, Jesus. Have you seen him? Those who first did were never the same. My Lord and my God, cried Thomas. I have seen the Lord, exclaimed Mary Magdalene. We have seen his glory, declared John. But Peter said it best when he said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I wonder, do you see Jesus this morning? He knows you, he longs for you, he's crazy about you, 
And there is no place too far, no hole too deep, no cave too dark that he wouldn't crawl to the bottom of it to draw you into him so that you would know the height and the depth and the breadth of his love for you. Love so clearly displayed when God became human and dwelt among us. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us.